0: Dude, we are going to energise the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined once again by the one and only William Kajani, the political analyst and sporting previewer for Star Sports Betting. Welcome back to the podcast, William. I'm most pleased to be back. Great to be here again. It's great to have you here again. And um, the first question that I really have to uh, ask is, we've got a by-election coming up in a few days.
1: What are the odds looking like for who's going to win that
0: by-election?
1: Amazingly. Well, not amazingly, the live down to favour, but amazingly, they are very, very short now. Um, to put this into context, I'm going to quote some fractional odds, and then what I'll do is um i'll sort of put those into percentages um so that hopefully if you're listening to this and you don't bet often you'll be able to understand but um we are now four to nine at the lib dems win they are our favorites um they are also the best backed party um in that um by-election um of course helen morgan their candidate. Um, been out campaigning a lot puns have really come for them Um, we are four to nine for the Lib Dems we are 13 to eight for the Conservatives this might raise some eyebrows depending on who you've been listening to we are 50 to one for Labour and Ben Wood 80 to one for Reform UK and 200 to one for the Green Party Um, so those are the runners and riders essentially that we're focusing on really
0: um, isn't it quite extraordinary that you've got the Lib Dems so high, as, as, as you mentioned, given that the last time that the, the Lib Dems came second uh, to the Conservatives in North Shropshire, it, is, it is has only really ever um, in modern times been held uh, by the Conservatives, you have to go back to um, the 1830s to find a time when it was held by a party than the Conservatives under the two-seat system that existed at the time. The, the Lib Dems have only um, come second, most recently uh, come second in this seat in 2010. What do you think it is that is um, putting such confidence both in the markets and the Liberal Democrats themselves that they will have a chance to win this by-election?
1: Well first things first, uh the governments and the conservatives um, are very much completely tarred by association, Um, just in the sense that when this originally started, um, the Lib Dems were five to one outside. There was a thinking that they target the seats or whatever, but they were 16% chances um, and the Tories were one to four, uh, which was 80%. What's happened to drive such a big um, change uh, to the point now that the Lib Dems are considered 70% chance with us um, and the Tories now about 38% um, It's a multiple number of factors. Firstly, I do think that it started with the Owen um, Paterson scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually had a reasonable amount of support um, from people who thought he could constitute CMP but the Association and the impression left there um, was deeply damaging. And that's sort the of kick-started thing because it gave the Lib Dems, who, after called Cheshire and Amersham earlier this year, and after in general um, really putting a lot of energy into get out the vote efforts um, in this year's by-electures, were already looking at the seat and already looking to run things down. Now, I think it's fair to say um, you would have expected the Tory majority. Um, Hypothetically, let's say in in a scenario where they win on Thursday, you'd expect the majority to come down um, because the candidate parachuted in uh, doesn't have name recognition or the relationship with the constituents that Patterson did. What you wouldn't have expected, however, would be for um, evidence to come out that Downing Street staff had not only one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but not seven, but eight potential gatherings in Downing Street um, during last year's winter lockdown. Um, and you would not have expected, I think, two weeks solid, I think, of negative coverage um, in all of the print media and also all the broadcast media, whether Tory or Labour sporting outlets in the papers, just relentlessly attacking Johnson and Whilst he's taking the brunt of it, by association, the government is also taking a hit as well. Again, I think because of presumed hypocrisy. In amongst this, you also have a situation where the Conservative um, candidate, uh, Dr. Neil Shastri Hurst, um, hasn't really been seen very much in comparison to either the Lib Dems' um, Helen Morgan... um, or indeed Labour's Ben Wood. Um, and then also you have the Johnson coming up to have a visit uh, the day after the Old Bexley, the Cisco by-election win, where his presence wasn't really helpful. He's toxic at the moment um, there. And you have a situation where the Conservative candidate is pretty absent, hasn't parachuted in, doesn't really know the area well. And two people who do know the area very well are absolutely cracking on and throwing big resources. And I think that combined ha- has led to the situation where you're having these internal poll numbers come back. They're looking really bad for the Tories and people reacting to them. And also the way the stories have been leaked, especially the, the video, it, it has had an impact on the local level. And it, I, I think that definitely, um, not only the market, but I think the campaigns on the ground to smell blood.
0: Mm. Do you think that this could potentially be an Eastbourne moment for Boris Johnson? Just for those who might not be aware, the 1990 Eastbourne by-election in which the Liberal Democrats uh, won a surprise victory in a seat that had been Conservative uh, for many uh, years was one of the things that was seen to spell the end of Margaret Thatcher's premiership given the unpopularity of the poll tax, her personal unpopularity and uh, Labour's lead in the polls. At the time, do you think that this could be an Eastbourne moment if the Lib Dems win North Shropshire?
1: Yeah, there's the potential for it to be. Um, It was interesting because Stephen Crabb was on Politics Live just this um, morning or afternoon, and he said that the idea of a leadership contest during this time was for the birds, Um, which I think, uh, you know, more which I think, you know, is understandable in the sense that you don't really want to have um, a leadership election during the current situation. Mm. But at the same time, you know, to, to lose a by election seat where things are unfavourable, not really in your favour, is sort of understandable. Most governments have that issue periodically from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but North Shropshire, it would be different. It would be different even than Cheshire and Amersham. Which in hindsight had lots of situations that favoured Lib Dems. This is die-in-the-wall Tory heartland. It should not really be in the up for grabs column in the first place. Um, you can say what you will about by elections being very different to general elections, which is true, and midterm blues for governments um, with their voters coming back at subsequent elections, which again has a bit of truth to it. Um, but if you are losing a seat where you previously had 62.8 percent of votes um it's going to put a lot of story mps on edge and they're already not happy because they're already taking the brunt of um johnson's decision making downing street's um very chaotic approach to uh, story management per- personally anyway you know pe- people were furious at the um, second jobs thing and they're, and they're arguably I think even angrier at this uh, mm. I think the hypocrisy is more direct um, it, it's a repeat essentially of Barnard's Castle though I think possibly people might be more upset because um, whilst the Barnard's Castle thing was a stupid it was a stupid manoeuvre yeah. um, yeah. and, and you know it was odd daft story and people were really suffering at the time last Christmas I think probably hurt people more Mm. I, I definitely think, I'm definitely seeing, this is anecdotal, I, I must say, but I'm seeing more of a personal hurt over these stories than over Barnard Castle, I think because of the emotional difficulty of Last Christmas for people. And that's that's definitely um, seeding through. So, I mean, no doubt, yeah, absolutely. We already have 60 rebels. That's just on the record, by the way, mm. against the Plan B restrictions. Um now you've got a, a, a by-election defeat in what used to be a state conservative area, and also the polls are now showing consistent Labour leads. Um, there are a lot of Tory MPs who are very worried. Um, so, no, there's absolutely every chance it might be an useful moment. The only thing I'd say is because um, we're six to one that Boris Johnson leaves this year, there's still a large, there's still a large part of this premiership left to run. Mm-hmm. There, there's two years. Um, Labour can keep on being popular and popular, but the next election is still quite a while away. Mm. There, there may not be the need to have a leadership election just yet, particularly given all the other challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, just on the point of um, the Barnard-Castle comparison, do you think that part of the reason that um, this has perhaps impacted uh, people uh, more, made them even angrier than with the, the barnard Castle incident is because with Barnard Castle it was one individual whereas with this I mean as you mentioned there are about eight gatherings eight or nine gatherings that are being uh, either investigated or known about just the sheer volume of rule breakage and the amount of people involved has probably uh, incensed people uh, even more because it's not just one individual who can be said to have broken the rules it's quite a few individuals and consistently broken them
1: I agree completely with that. The think it's a very good way of looking at it. Also, it, um, it pretty much directly involves the Prime Minister um, mm. as well. Um, some people are saying that the Zoom quiz yesterday was a bit of a weaker story than the, the others. But again, the cumulative effect, you know, to do it once, um, might be considered hypocritical or whatever. Um, this was eight times. Mm. And there was, just, there was just no doubt about those rules there was no doubt about the state of the rules at that time, um, particularly also if people are in government, they, they were drafting legislation. and I think that really rankles the people.
0: Mm, absolutely. And you mentioned um, a moment ago the odds uh, relating to Boris Johnson leaving. So um, j- just to uh, go over the odds uh, in, in total, what are the odds in terms of Boris Johnson's expected leaving date and what kind of odds are we seeing for who could be, uh, the next Prime Minister, once he does leave Downing Street?
1: Okay, so he is six to one to leave this calendar year. And um, by the way, when we say leave office, it's leave office for any reason. Um, so he, he could decide to resign. Um, there could be a vote no confidence in the government. There could be a vote no confidence in him as um, Tory leads or whatever. But he's got to leave office. Six to one for 2021. 11 to 10 for the next year so 2022 from January 1st to December 31st that um is actually just our second favorite our favorite is um 10 to 11 for him to go 2023 or later um and also we have odds on him being the Tory leader of the next general election we are 4 to 5 we are also 10 to 11 that he isn't the Conservative leader of the next election again if you're not familiar um rigid fractionals it's pretty you know it's pretty evenly balanced basically between the two which is not really what you've would expected um back in october after he gave the speech at um tory conference um he was i believe it was twos on um mm-hmm. so one to two um to be prime minister at the next general election, something which I thought was quite big value there, and he looked to have it, you know, all bloody sewed up. Um, so it just shows you how quickly things can change. Um, in terms of succeeding Kim his next prime minister, Rishi Sunak is the two-to-one favourites, Keir Starmer is four-to-one, Liz Truss is nine-to-two, Tens Bar, Um, Jeremy Hunt is ten-to-one, Michael Grove is ten-to-one, Andy Burnham is 20, Sajid Javid 20, Dominic Raab. 25s, Angela Rayner, 33s, James Cleverly 33s, Priti Patel, 33s, Penny Morton's 40s. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's a to play to replace Johnson, um, but we've taken lots and lots of money with him going sooner rather than later.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, you mentioned earlier that we've seen uh, some consistent Labour leads in the opinion polls over the past. Uh, few days, we saw uh, some Labour leads at the uh, start of November, but they were uh, intermittent with either ties or Conservative leads. I mean, what do you think that it says about the um, consistent Labour lead polling at the moment? Do you think it is solely down to the situation related to the Christmas parties? Do you think it has uh, something to do with the recent shadow cabinet reshuffle? What do you think is motivating this uh, consistent Labour leads that we're seeing in the most recent polls?
1: I think what's motivating it is a shift um, away from the Conservatives. I think what you're seeing here is a big Conservative fall and Labour gaining, I think, incremental um, pieces of support. I saw in one recent poll that they'd taken 10% of Tory voters in 2019. Um, Whether that's 10% of the switchers um, who went from labour to tory or just 10 percent the tory votes in total i don't know um i think it's pretty clear that's the case um that is not terrible um for keir starmer and his and the labour party but it is not sustainable all the way to an election mm. particularly if um as example johnson left sunak was elected um tory leader i think it's much harder for Keir Starmer to fight um Sunak uh, than it is uh Johnson. Um but I do also think there are some structural issues which might key the, the Tory vote just a little bit suppressed um going forward. I'm thinking particularly of cost of living mm. um and also inflation, which the two of which are tied together. Um I also wonder, I know that there tends to be broad support for restrictions um, when it comes to public health, and they tend to be driven, I think, by people who, who are more likely to vote Tory. But, but I wonder if too many of those, in the sense that people lose patience with the Tory base, might also see them shifting. But essentially, we've seen a big shift from voted Tory in 2019, was intending to vote Tory in the Westminster Intention Polls, to don't know... Or won't vote. Um, and then I think smaller offshoots to um, Labour and the Lib Dems um, and the Reform Party in some cases. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in terms of the next election,
0: um, we've discussed obviously um, some dates, it may be uh, sooner than we think. How do you think that the election campaign will be uh, played out come the next election. Obviously, this is going uh, a few years into the future, but what do you think are going to be the main concerns going forward? Coronavirus certainly seems to be um, staying around in in, in terms of people's uh, minds and affecting people's lives, perhaps longer than the government might have thought uh, it was going to do. So do you think that that's going to be playing a, a part in the next election, or do you think it's going to be things like, as you mentioned, uh, the cost of living, uh, house prices, things like that? What what, what do you think is going to dominate the next election campaign?
1: I can see a future election being mainly fought on the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see it for a couple of reasons. Firstly, as much as I'd love to be wrong about this, um transitioning from a pandemic which we are very much still in in my opinion um to having covid as an endemic disease is it's just fraught with danger and with risk and with setbacks as we see from the other variants. Mm-hmm. it's not you cannot just go back to normal overnight um and and that will have an impact um down next couple of years um the next thing i think is very important to note is that um the Tory offer or the Tory motivating factor at the 2019 general election was Brexit. Uh, it was very much Brexit. Um, and also, I think, more of an optimistic belief in Britain and what Britain was at the point and the better message. Whoever is leading the Tories in the 2024 election, if we assume it's then, is going to have a much harder time selling that message. Um, The initial obvious fall that comes to mind is levelling up. Let's continue levelling up. Let's continue reducing inequality between the North and the South in particular, but also straight from the Union and deprived areas in the Southwest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to be very hard to show a lot for um, in just the first couple of years. Um, If you get to a situation where public services haven't improved much um, and people are paying even more for trains which aren't, just aren't faster um, and there aren't any are bus services or whatever and, and roads still haven't been built or whatever, which is entirely possible just because it's tricky to do those things in a short period of time, relatively. Um, you, you could have real trouble keeping voters who... Who, who voted Tory in 2019 for whatever reason, and now they have an obvious compelling call to. Um, so I think that might be how the next election is decided. I, I think also competence is probably going to have something to do with it. I think more so than um, the last election, where both Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson, I think, um, had large groups of people who just didn't think they were fit to be Prime Minister. Mm. Um, And if it's Keir Starmer versus, say, Rishi Sunak, I imagine very much that there will be larger groups who who could tolerate either one. Um, So cultures is definitely going to be a watchword. uh, watchword, Mm.
0: So in in, in terms of uh, culture, then, do you think that we're going to see more of uh, cultural... Uh, War type things entering uh, politics and entering the debate? Do you think that we're going to see um, more discussion related perhaps to immigration? We've got the uh, nationalities uh, bill that is going through the Commons at the moment, going through um, the the Commons and the House of Lords at the moment. Do you think that this is going to be something that we're going to see um, perhaps more emphasis placed on during uh, the election? In the post-Brexit world, there's going to be more... Emphasis on relation to migration and immigration, particularly from uh, the conservatives.
1: Yes, um, long story short, and um I think we could see it get to some some pretty awful heights. I mean, I'd argue it played a reasonably big role in the 2019 mm-hmm. election. Um, it was very much the election that was based on large amounts of emotion. And I don't think it's hard to see that happening once again. Um and I feel there could be any amount of issues which by that time would be weaponized. We, we've seen already the whole range of um of, of cultural issues, issues of importance being weaponized in really nasty and ugly ways. I think that our ability to fight misinformation is growing in the sense that we have technology and people who understand it more. Mm. But I think our our vulnerability to it is getting worse. If that makes sense, yes. we really are, if anything, now more susceptible to misinformation and um, and also I think very harmful discourse that comes with it. And I, I think there's a number of sort of cats that have been let uh, firmly out of bags. And I don't think you can put those genies back in those bottles yet. So I expect it to play a big part. It's going to depend a lot on who's leading. Um, both parties, uh, you know, I think a star versus a Sunak um, hypothetical match uh, is going to have much less the cultural vibe to it than, say, if the Trust was leading um, towards that election. But I think whoever leads it will be a big part.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to now turn um, to the United States because next year, of course, we have midterm elections uh, coming up both in the House and the Senate. In terms of the uh, situation that we're seeing in the United States, uh, Joe Biden and um, the Democrats aren't perhaps as popular as they'd hope to be, uh, particularly going off uh, Biden securing the most votes of any presidential uh, candidate in history at the last presidential election. I mean, how much do you think uh, a part of this is just the continuation of um, the pandemic and failure to, um, you know, resolve the pandemic? How much do you think that that's affecting the Democrats and Joe Biden? And also, how much do you think that uh, part of the issues that he's going to face coming up to the the midterm elections next year are going to be as a result of the stall that we've seen in the Senate? I mean, it's a 50-50 in the Senate at the moment, which of course makes it very difficult for Democrats to get any uh, legislation Pass because they need all of their block uh, to vote as uh, one, and we've seen from the actions of uh, Kirsten Cinnamon and Joe Manchin that that really isn't happening at the moment.
1: I agree with you. Um, or, or I agree with the central premise of the question, which is that um, it, it's been like really di- it's been really difficult um, for the US or for the Biden administration to. Kick on and, and make the sort of progress that most developed countries were seeing um, in the summer, um, where the vaccination programs were motoring full steam ahead, um, and they were having really good effects. And you were seeing a big heat in transmission, and hospitalizations, or whatever. And, and you could have um, events again, and events that were being held, you know, reasonably safely. Uh, safely, but. Um, there's a big issue there, which is that the US is just, just not able to be governed in the same way that other major countries are because, um, A, it's so vast, and B, that there's so many political differences. Mm. In blue states, um, you've had higher vaccine take-up. You've had less severe outcomes. That programme has worked. As such, they've had the economic benefits or whatever. But in red states, um, where you have to remember, plenty of people don't believe Biden is a legitimate president, Mm. they believe the election was stolen from Trump, you have had much lower compliance with all sorts of measures. Everything from um, the social distancing measures to the vaccination drives. um, And also, I I think just in general, um, public health measures as well. Not to mention, just, of course, just a pre-exposed or... you know, a pre, a premeditated um, hatred of, of Biden and the Democratic Party, particularly. So it's always hard um, for for a president, I think, nowadays to have a higher approval rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the days of like hitting fifty five, um, or whatever, are probably gone. Or like hitting sixty, I think, I think they're gone. Um, the issue for Biden is it's tricky to reverse this. He got the infrastructure bill partly through. And that's big, but you don't see the effects of that imminently. Um, and they're geographically spread. And it's tricky. Um, and they just seem to be bogged down in, in quite a lot. There's the traditional problems of government which just hurt them more um, because it's it's in the middle of, uh, of the term, and it's difficult. And then you are facing an issue where, once again and the European threat to to wreck everything. And I think they will get more of the blame for that in America than they would have here, mm. where people were broadly very understanding of the issue the government had to deal with, even if they didn't necessarily like how the government were performing with it. Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, of course, with um, those uh, midterm elections as well, we are potentially going to see uh, the Republicans return uh, to a majority in the House. And we've had uh, individuals like Matt Gates suggest that if that were to occur, uh, then they would select Donald Trump to be Speaker of the House. Now, if Trump were to become Speaker of the House, what impact do you think that that would have on American politics?
1: Um, it would be quite stark, I think, because you have to remember he would begin to become a figure that many of many of the media outlets in the US would feel compelled to cover again, and that then begins to drive its own cycles and have it so outsized effect on American discourse. Hmm. Um, and also you have to remember, he, he's running for twenty twenty four. In my opinion, he's running. Um, I think he's got a big chance of winning, um, distressingly. How obvious is it going to be that he will use that as a campaign vehicle if it was to happen? And then you get into the situation where you were um, now four years ago. Um, We don't want to this guy's running well for president of the United States. Let, let, let's cover his rallies. The ratings are great. I think people will have more of a cautious mind in terms of paying attention to him now, mm. but, but he'll be a speaker of the house. He'll have to be covered. And that's going to be a tremendous challenge. And then you get into the point of, he's going to take all that oxygen and do what he does. Um, and he's going to take away airtime for other Republican candidates. And he's probably going to take away a lot of airtime um, for the president and the administration. Mm. Um so it's if it was to happen, it'd be a massive massive test um of the American democratic system, which is creaking at the scenes at the moment in, in my opinion it's it's not on firm ground in my opinion. Mm.
0: Uh, We're well, coming towards uh, the end of the podcast, and as always, it's great to have you on William and I have one final question for you. obviously we've discussed, A variety of things, both uh, the UK political scene and the US political scene, and uh, Omicron is certainly affecting uh, both. But regardless of that, uh, we are in the month of December. Christmas is quickly approaching us. It will soon uh, be Christmas. So my final question to you is this. If you had to get a single Christmas present for both the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition. What Christmas presents would you get for Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer?
1: A brilliant, brilliant question. For (laughs) Boris Johnson, I would get him. I'd have a special, I'd have a special book printed and in it would be the Nolan Principles and then the Ministerial Code. And he could have that as a special hardback. Um, For Keir Starmer, this is a bit tricky. I've got two presents um, for Keir Starmer. Um, The first thing I'd do would be to get him, um, I I think, some seminar training on statutory sick pay. Um, just so that he knows it's probably a message that he should continue to hammer home. When I say continue, he hasn't really done very much of that on Twitter, but he did speak up about it on Mar, I noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, Labour isn't going to leverage that against the government um, for their Plan B rules, which I think is a bit of a shame, um, considering that they could turn the heat up just a bit. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important that the Labour Party does shout out a lot about sick pay. Mm. Because if we are headed for the worst, if you're headed for a situation, and we, we already are asking people to stay home um, and, and to a harsh degree in Scotland, if you're heading for a situation we need large people to stay home again, they have to be compensated for it. Mm. We've been through this, not once, but twice. And if you live in the North actually, you have had four or five lockdowns, not, not just three or four, um, I, I'll begin to lose count. Um, that would be your first thing, and then secondly, um, do you know? What, actually, I'd, I'd get him the Ford report. I, I'd, I'd get him the Ford report. I was gonna—I've changed for a really topical answer. I was gonna get him one of those fancy Arsenal tops they got a new <laughs> collection of, because um, he's, he's, he's a die-hard gooner. But mm. um, I I'd just get him the Ford report. Look, he looks like he could do with reading that. That could be his mm. holiday reading. Um, that appears to drifted into non-existence but um yeah that's in the Christmas satchel for both the Prime Minister and um the leader of the opposition.
0: I think that those are uh some great presents uh for both of them and I'm sure that they could learn a lot from uh those presents that you'd be uh dishing out William um thank you again for coming on the podcast if people want to find out more about you follow your exploits where should they go uh, to find out more about you and to follow you.
1: Um okay so I will be covering Either the Rebellion Tomorrow or North Shropshire, do forgive me, I am being buzzed um, constantly. Um, you can go and follow me on Twitter at K-E-E-J-A-Y-O-V-3, K-J-O-V-3, or just type in William Kajani, second name, K-E-D-J-A-N-Y-I. Um, I'll be recording a by-election preview, sort of a really specific one um, for Star Sports. Um, I'll be hopefully posting a few political videos um, out of the either in Westminster or North Shropshire or both. You can find those by going to at starsports underscore bet. So at starsports underscore bet. Um, and all of our best content will be on there.
0: Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, Like us on Facebook, Podcast, And if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at the at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.